This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's the final Fenway Rundown podcast of January. I'm Chris Cotillo, your co-host, Sean McAdam, still in Aruba on the beach while we sit here in the cold in New England. Today's guest really needs no introduction. I know I say that a lot, but I mean it on this one. Ken Rosenthal, the preeminent MLB insider, the athletic Fox Sports, the guy with the bow tie. You know who he is, and we always like to get Ken's opinion on the Red Sox from a national perspective Appreciate Ken coming on today, spending some time with us to talk Red Sox. We'll hear that in a second. As always, if you want to stay up to date with what's going on with Mass Live's Red Sox coverage, you know where to find the site. You know how to follow us on Twitter. But perhaps the best way to get up-to-the-minute updates on everything Red Sox and be able to text back and forth with us directly, it's the Red Sox Fenway Rundown Insider Text Program. We talk about it every show. If you haven't signed up, you should. Sean McAdam, when he's not on vacation, Chris Smith and myself are always answering texts. We're always going back and forth with you, the good people out there who want to talk about this team. Very easy to join. Text the word join to 617-751-6257. And then just click the link and subscribe today. $4.99 a month after a 14-day free trial. If you try it, you'll like it. Here's Ken Rosenthal. For I believe the second time in Fenway Rundown history, we have Ken Rosenthal, one of the great MLB insiders, reporters out there, the athletic foul territory. You see him everywhere. You know where to find him. Um, Ken, I wanted to have you on uh, to get kind of that national perspective on the Red Sox. I think in the echo chamber here, you know, when it's Sean McAdam and I talking, we talk a lot about what the Red Sox are going to do, what they haven't done, and the fan outrage. But just, you said it yesterday on foul territory. I think the quote was, you know, they're not trying as much as they should be. Just where they sit right now, everything that has happened or hasn't happened this offseason, how surprised have you been by the actions of this this group compared to what you thought they'd do heading into the winter? I've been surprised. And certainly I thought they would do more. And after Tom Werner said what he did about full throttle, there was every reason to expect they would do more. Now, I know he has since kind of walked that back a little bit, said it was an unfortunate choice of words, but he said it. Yep. And what else are fans supposed to go on? They have that. And what I talked about yesterday on foul territory is Montgomery. He's sitting there in Boston. His wife is doing her residency there. He obviously has some familiarity with the place. I would imagine he likes the place. Most people like Boston, although not so much in winter, of course. Mm -hmm. But Jordan Montgomery pitched for the Yankees. He gets it. He knows Boston. He can handle Boston. So with the delay going on between Texas and Montgomery because of their regional sports network situation. It's a time for the Red Sox maybe to jump in. Now, the other way to look at it from the Red Sox perspective, in fairness, is if Texas cannot sign Montgomery or will not sign Montgomery, I should say, then at that point, maybe they have a better chance, get a better price. Okay, I get it. But they need a top of the rotation starter to be competitive. And I thought Sean made a good point. I can't remember, Chris, if it was – in print or on this podcast, but when he said, hey, at least try to be a wild card team. We've got yep. expanded playoffs here. You can try to do that. You have a good amount of core talent, and I know more coming. And I get that maybe they want to wait for a better free agent class. 
and maybe they want to wait until some of those players are closer to making an impact. But, man, it's not a great effort from the outside, and I know from the inside there in Boston. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the fan fan revolt levels are pretty high, as you've probably seen. And I think they the perception is that there's been a change in the MO. You know, this was a team that was always high, had high payroll, always was aggressive, always kind of was full throttle nationally. And obviously you're way more plugged in than virtually anybody. But with the conversations I've had, agents say they're lowballing them. Teams say they are trying to move money before adding more, whether that be a Kenley Jansen trade or, you know, trying to move somebody like Yoshida, which you've reported. What What is the reputation of the Red Sox in national circles right now? Like, because I, I, the way I, I am hearing it is that, you know, teams are shocked by the way they're acting and what they expect their payroll to be. Chris, that's always a tough question or a tough way to put it because national circles could apply to agents, could apply to executives, right. could apply to writers, but I know what you're asking. Yeah. And certainly if there is a consensus, I would say that there is surprise that the Red Sox have not been more aggressive. Now, from my perspective, when I check on players and where they're going and who might be interested in which guys, I hardly ever hear their name. That's what is surprising to me, that they're not seemingly in the mix for any players you think they would be in the mix for. And again, the need is glaring. It's quite obvious. And there are pitchers out there. And I know Snell has warts. Montgomery might not be a number one. These are all fair assessments. And Mm -hmm. listen, no one acquired Dylan Cease yet. No one acquired Corbin Burns yet. Obviously, the prices are quite high for those guys. But man, there are other ways to do things. And in a bigger picture sense... Why did you fire Heim Bloom if this is the way you're going to go? The right. complaint with Heim Bloom, as I understood it, was they're not winning at the big league level. Fair complaint. They had not won at the big league level. They finished last three of the last four years. Okay. But if the goal is not to finish last, which I would imagine it is, this is an odd way of going about it. Right. And I think the big question comes down to payroll. You know, they've said – for the really the the first time on purpose during their ownership tenure that the payroll is going to go down two years in a row. I think the upper levels are 225. And if it's somewhere around 200, if it's somewhere around 205, I wouldn't be surprised. They said at winter weekend that, you know, the teams that spend the most don't necessarily win. But I think the point they're missing is that, you know, when you talk about full throttle, you talk about making the commitment, you know, the levels of spending should be where they have been in the past to get this back on track is this whole thing about, you know, the, the teams that spent the most last year not making the playoffs, and that's been well-documented. Are teams looking at that and thinking that, you know, those big payrolls or bloated free agency investments are, are no longer the best investment, or is it just kind of case-by-case case in your mind? I think it's case-by-case, case, Chris, and certainly last season did indicate that, hey, obviously you don't always win when you spend the most money. Mets, mm-hmm. Yankees, Padres. Fine examples all. And if you want to make the case that spending money doesn't always get you there, fine examples, as I said. Texas Rangers are kind of the opposite example. They spent a lot of money over a span of two off-seasons, and it got them to the World Series. Why? They spent on the right players. They had the right manager. They did a lot of good things on the edges as well as in free agency and with trades. So I understand any concern about free agent spending. It doesn't always work. We know that. But at the same time, if you're the Boston Red Sox and you play in a market where you have high revenue, 
where you have, and you correct me if I'm wrong, the construction going on right now or the development of areas around Fenway to make the yep. team even more financially solvent. What are we doing here? And I know one of the frustrations that the media has there, guys like yourself, and as well as fans, is the team doesn't give you anything. They don't say what they're thinking, and they're not obligated to. I get it. And I also get that they can conduct themselves in this fashion and still draw a lot of people to Fenway Park because it's a great place to be. But at some point, if you're a fan, and fans, I believe, are asking these questions, what are we doing here? And, hey, if I'm going to pay among the highest ticket prices in baseball, why am I paying when ownership doesn't seem to be making the commitment that I'm ready to make on my end? Let's talk about the moves they have made. It's been like over a month, so uh, it's been a lot of talk and not a lot of action since New Year's. But Tyler O'Neill, Alex Verdugo, those were the first couple of trades. But but kind of big, bigger moves or the more uh, significant ones they did make. Bringing in Lucas Giolito, who I think you know teams identified as a bounce back candidate. He's a guy that makes a lot of sense for what they're looking for. And the trade of Chris Sale for Von Grissom, which to me came out of nowhere. I didn't see it coming. Maybe that's bad reporting, or maybe it was just a legitimate surprise. But what are your thoughts on legitimate you know, surprise? Yeah, I mean that no, that no, one. Listen, Chris, when we don't see something coming, it's not always bad reporting. It's impossible right. <laughs> to read their minds. I always tell people we get about I don't know ten percent of what's going on, twenty percent right. of the conversations. I don't know what the number is. It's not all that high because they talk about a zillion things. Mm-hmm. So those two moves, Giolito. I don't see him as a front of the rotation guy. I don't know that anyone does. And he had his struggles last year after the trades, but he should be a competent major league starter. That is a reasonable expectation for him. A solid three or four, something along those lines. Is he great? No, he's not great, but he has done some good things in his career. And he certainly has the ability to be just what I said, a league average starter or above, which there has a lot of value to in this day and age. Mm Mm-hmm. The Vaughn Grissom one is really interesting. I followed that pretty closely when he was with Atlanta, when they were trying him at shortstop. They sent him to New Orleans to work with Ron Washington. Didn't work. Everybody loves the offensive potential. He can hit. Now, I know the exit velos weren't great or whatever, but it seems to me that people believe in the industry that he is going to hit. And then the question becomes, okay, can he handle second, which I expect he can. He is, I will say this, a refreshing personality. He is kind of an engaging guy, and I think fans will like him for that reason. Obviously, he has to play well for fans to really like him, but I expect that will be a good addition. And in my view, that was a good trade. Chris Sale, they were going to live through another year of, is he good? Is he not good? With the Braves, there'll probably be less pressure on him. He's behind Strider and Freed and even Charlie Morton. So I liked that trade. But overall, when you look at these moves, these are moves – the kinds of moves that Bloom was making, mm-hmm. these kind of peripheral upgrade moves, some work, some don't, but Bloom did a pretty good job with a lot of these kinds of things. And I think Breslow has as well, but obviously you need some bigger pieces and that is where they have fallen short. And that's why we're still talking about this. And I think the narrative has shifted from, you know, maybe Bloom wasn't, as indecisive or uh, not as active as people wanted because there were restrictions from above. And I think we all think, you know, there are, I think there's this big perception that the buck stops with the GM or the chief baseball officer when really ownership and especially an ownership group that, as you mentioned, is not, you know, saying much. John Henry hasn't talked to us for four years, as you well know. Um, 
if there's payroll restrictions, it's not like the GM can come out and say, hey, I don't have any money to spend. Like, they can't you know, throw their ownership under the bus, and I think that might be in play here. So quickly, your thoughts on a big move yesterday that happened, or made a lot of headlines obviously around here. Justin Turner going to Toronto, one year, $13 million. To me, uh, I understand how he doesn't fit the Red Sox roster, but that's still a huge loss both for the lineup and the clubhouse. I was shocked at how well he fit in, how he became the unquestioned leader immediately. Um, and I think that that's, you know, again, not a loss that shocked me considering where his market was going, but maybe a guy the Red Sox should have thought more about bringing back. Chris, he is an interesting guy. And obviously at some point in his career, he's going to slow down. I don't know when that is. He's 39 this year, and he's still going strong. He had a terrific year last year, as everyone in the New England area knows. To me, what he brings the Blue Jays off the field is really important, or even in the clubhouse, dugout, however you want to put it. That team, to me, was an underachieving club. And I called them paper tigers at the end of the year and kind of had some fun with them. And – that is where they are right now or who they have been. Even with Springer, who is a leader type, he's a pretty impressive guy. Turner, to me, is an adult in the room. He gives them an adult in the room, a guy who they can look to, who's been there in the playoffs, who understands the rhythms of the season, who understands clubhouse dynamics, what goes and what doesn't go, what should and shouldn't go. That will be an intangible difference for the Blue Jays that is something that they need. And so how much does he make a difference on the field? If he's as good as he was for the Red Sox last season, he makes a difference on the field. He also makes that difference off the field. And while they needed a left-handed bat more, maybe they'll still get one. He fits really well. He hit right-handed pitching decently last year and has throughout his career. So I like that move a lot for the Jays. The big question here remains what the Red Sox will do next. Uh, it might be nothing if they don't want to add any more money. It might be subtraction. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Kenley Jansen as a trade candidate. Yoshida, you mentioned Montgomery. There's been some Jorge Soler talk. From what you've heard from, you know, what the talk in the industry is, what do you expect the Red Sox to do between now and opening day, if anything? I have a hard time predicting it because if prices drop on some of the free agent pitchers, Montgomery in particular, then maybe they jump in and then maybe this is all just a lot of complaining on our parts and ultimately what they do is the right thing. Obviously everything we've heard does not indicate that even what they've said at winter weekend does not indicate that, but I still expect them to make additional moves. I don't know exactly what they'll be, but I would doubt they go into the season with this roster, whether it's, as you said, subtractions or, minor additions or a major addition. It's not going to be what we're looking at right now. Do you think a guy like Kenley Jansen has a pretty good market? Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of closers that have come off the board the last couple of weeks from Hader to, you know, Stevenson, Nara, some of these guys, that market's moved. Do you think the Red Sox could get a worthwhile haul for him? I would imagine you get a mid-level prospect for Kenley Jansen because mm-hmm. keep in mind, the team is – taking on $16 million, that gets him. That's his salary. Now, granted, if the Red Sox pay half, they get a better prospect. We know how that works. But I don't know that he's bringing you two or three guys. Granted, it's a one-year deal. He's a high-performing guy. He's someone you can basically count on. But I don't expect it to be a massive kind of haul. I expect they get something decent, but nothing that you're going to say, well, a top 100 guy for Kenley Jansen. Right. Nah, I don't expect that to happen. 
couple more before we let you go, Ken. I want to ask about the future of Alex Cora. This is obviously starting to be a topic that's widely discussed here because he's on his last year of the contract. I think he's made it no secret that he appreciates what Craig Council did for the uh, managerial trade. And this is a guy that has won a ring before, has, despite the the scandal and some losing seasons, a reputation as one of the better managers in the game. I've said now and I've written that I think that, you know, if the Yankees move on from Aaron Boone or the Dodgers move on from Dave Roberts, those are two teams that could definitely try to poach Alex Cora. I think his intent is to go to free agency in a year. Kind of a two-part question, but how do you see the Cora situation playing out? And also, bigger picture, how did the whole Craig Council thing really just change the game for managers and this whole idea of managerial free agency? For Cora, it depends on the season, I would imagine. If the Red Sox are successful and they offer him a good extension, I would think he stays. I believe Alex Cora feels a sense of loyalty to this ownership for sticking with him Mm -hmm. after he was suspended for a year. They brought him back, and they didn't have to do that. In fact, some people were surprised they did that, as you know. So I'm quite certain well, fairly certain that Alex Cora won't forget that, that if this situation is working well, as long as he's going good with Breslow and things are going smoothly and the team is successful, then an extension could very well be the likely outcome here. If the team doesn't go as well, if he doesn't jibe with Breslow the way he would want or maybe the way Breslow would want, then certainly we could be looking at free agency. And the teams you mentioned, yes, those are two of the teams that could be a factor. And the council thing is something of a blueprint for this. Now, I don't know that Cora, if they're coming off a losing season, will be as highly regarded mm-hmm. as council. Council did a lot to overachieve with a team that doesn't spend a lot of money. You can look at his record, the way he, his teams perform compared to their Pythagorean expected records. It was really impressive. And the Cubs wanted him, obviously, because he tortured them within their own division. But I can see a similar scenario playing out for Cora. And... It's just a matter of really how the season goes. So much can change, Chris. You know this. You covered the game long enough now. Things will happen that we don't expect. All kinds of things could happen. So I would expect at this point, if I had to bet, I'd bet he'd become a free agent because why not, right? When a player is a year away, player wants to become a free agent. Manager is no different. And when you ask about counsel changing the game for managers, yes, it has. Now, it's not going to elevate the salaries for first-year managers. But it is going to give guys like Cora, who are at the end of contracts and who are well-regarded, the thought that, you know what, maybe this is the way to go. Maybe I don't get what Craig Council got, but I can do better than I have. And the managerial pay structure has always been, or lately, recently, has been too low. Council helped change that. And that's why Cora and others are grateful, because Council did what a lot of people thought he wouldn't do. And I remember writing, I don't even remember when this was, maybe before last season. I think it was before last season. That This scenario that played out could play out. The council mm-hmm. could be a free agent. People in Milwaukee flooded me with comments and tweets, you're full of it. There's no way. He's a local kid. Well, listen, I'm not always right, obviously. But Craig Council, I knew this, had a background as a player who was a strong member of the union. And a believer in what the union was doing and someone who would perhaps want to change the salary structure. And that's what he did. Do you see a world in which Alex Gore, Sean and I had this debate on the pod, 
gets $10 million a year. Like if he has a really good season but still wants to test free agency and goes out and gets a, a multi-year deal for 10 a year. I, I don't see it being out of the question. I don't see why it would be out of the question. Let's say they have a great year. Let's say they go ALCS or World Series, just mm-hmm. for the sake of discussion. I know it's not likely based on everything else we've discussed, right. but let's say that happens. Then he's a hot free agent. And again, why wouldn't you pay your manager that when you're paying players who aren't nearly as impactful that kind of amount? Now, I know teams don't want to mess with the structure and screw up things for one another, but guess what? The Cubs just did. Mm-hmm. And another team might for Cora, especially a team like the Dodgers or the Yankees that you mentioned that have greater resources. So I don't know that it's out of the question, but it depends on this year. If they don't have a good year, Chris, his value starts to diminish a little bit. Right. He's been part of these teams that have lost. Now, I don't blame him for that, but mm-hmm. he is the manager. Last question for you. This is obviously about a team that uh, you covered for a while before uh, going on to great things nationally, but the Orioles and the headlines in a big way last night with the reported sale. Uh, it looks like the Angelos family is, is planning their exit strategy, which uh, I know the people that cover the team in Baltimore seem to be pleased about and the fans as well. I think the thought last night was uh, seeing Twitter and seeing the reaction was this team obviously has an unbelievably young core. They won so many games last year. Can you imagine if they actually spend, if they actually go out and, you know, add free agents that you wrote about it too, just as from a national perspective on the Orioles, does this make them even more of a threat as a franchise than they are now? And just what were your reactions to seeing that last night? I would say it makes them more of a threat based on the way the new owners conduct themselves. We don't know mm-hmm. that they would spend, but look at it this way. They're not going to spend less because they can't right. really spend less. They've been a bottom five payroll team, I believe, for five years. And they've got this wealth of young talent. I don't expect them ever to spend like the Red Sox should spend or the Yankees do spend or teams at that level. But can they be more of a force in free agency and more of a factor in signing young players to extensions? There's no question about that. Under Mike Elias, took over, I believe, November 2018. They've yet to sign a guy to a multi-year deal. It's unfathomable. But that's the way they've operated. And they tanked to get to this level. They did a great job identifying the right young talent. But at some point, you've got to fire to go forward. And when I say fire, I see mean spend money. And I don't believe Elias has been permitted to do that. And under new ownership, and these guys are wealthy, they're private equity investors, you would think they would spend more, more money. Now, as I wrote today, when Peter Angelos bought the team in 1992, I was actually a columnist for the Baltimore Sun then. I know, Chris, you weren't even born. But – at that time, I, 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 didn't, I didn't say it. I could have. <laughs> you could have, but it's true. Angelos was considered a savior. And it's the same scenario we had in Baltimore, an owner that was from New York, a guy who wasn't very popular. He was kind of distant and he went into bankruptcy with all kinds of problems. Angelos was not a native, but someone who had built his fortune in Baltimore and was really highly regarded in the city and the state. So people thought, Wow, this is going to be great. And from the standpoint of spending, it was great. He made them a top payroll team for pretty much the 1990s. And then it went south. And, of course, he was always in the middle of stuff, controversial owner, impetuous, did some stuff that really wasn't cool. But at the same time, initially, they spent. Now, it changed over the years. 
but they were good from 2012 to 16 again with mid-level payroll teams. Mm-hmm. So this group, Rubenstein and the other guy and whoever they're bringing with them, Cal Ripken reportedly is part of it. They're going to be considered like Angelo's to be saviors, but with owners, you never know. And you just never know exactly how it's going to play out. So there is that degree of caution, but at the same time, John Angelos and under Peter Angelos, the way I wrote it today, change for the sake of change, that alone is going to be a relief to Orioles fans. As I tweeted last night from the division sense, seems like the Orioles are getting a committed owner at a time when the Red Sox are losing theirs. So uh, a, a one-for-one swap in the AL East. Ken, as always, yeah. really appreciate your time and all the insight. Chris, thanks a lot. Thanks again to Ken Rosenthal for his time. Always good to get his perspective. One more Fenway rundown this week. So keep an eye and an ear out for that. And as always, if you want to stay up to date on the latest Red Sox news and rumors and talk to us directly here at Mass Live, text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257. Click the link and subscribe today to our Fenway Rundown Insider Text Program. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.